Matthew 25 and verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And shall we pray also? Father God, we praise you for your grace, your grace that means salvation, your grace that brings salvation and that brings eternal life for us, to be fully restored from sin and to live forever with you. We praise you for doing that. We praise you that grace came, Lord, while even though we still fall into ungodliness and into worldly passions. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness for those, for our failings, the ways we, we do, do those things that we know we should not, and indeed fail to do the things we ought. We ask your forgiveness and we ask your restoration, knowing that you will give that because you have given us grace in Christ. And Lord God, we thank you for the privilege we have of still being your ambassadors, even as those people. Lord God, thank you for what we've just heard about the work in Ireland. Thank you that there you are pleased to use people in the work of saving souls for your own glory. Lord God, please help Roger as he comes in a minute to proclaim your word faithfully uh, to us so that we will look to Jesus uh, and run the race you've given us. Please help us to check what he says against your word and please then help us to change the way we think and the way we act in accordance with that. Lord God, we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus so that your amazing glory uh, would be revealed more clearly. Amen. Well, we're coming to the end of a good day, very enjoyable day, and of course it's the end of a summer season of evangelism. doesn't mean that evangelism has stopped, but the beach mission season for the time being. And it's not a bad thing to think about the future. And that's really what I want to do. It'd be good if you would turn to Titus, because I'm really going to use... Um, Verse 13 of chapter 2 as a springboard to share what I have to share. Titus chapter 2, let's read again these verses that we're thinking about this weekend. It's a, it's a great idea just to go through a short passage and concentrate sentence by sentence. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, who gave himself for us that we might redeem, and so it goes on. But looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. 
In other words, as a Christian who has received the grace of God, shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us, who died for us, as a Christian, one of the things that should result in Christian conversion is that we are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember Paul wrote those words to the Thessalonians and he said, um, you turned from your idols to serve the living and the true God. And then he said, and you're waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So part of Christian experience is to look forward to Christ's second coming, as well as to remember and relish the fact that he had a first coming and he went to the cross and he died for us. Now, let's be honest. The sort of day and age in which we live, I don't know that we spend much time looking forward to the future. We, 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 we're presented with all sorts of ideas in the newspapers and on the television news, radio news about the future and projections about the economy, economic recovery and this sort of thing. But the future, as far as God is concerned, seems to be quite distant in our thinking. And frankly, even in churches, there's not that much teaching about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet... I don't know that we can really understand what is going on now unless we look to see what is going to happen in the end. The Americans have this awful phrase, it's uh, not over till the fat lady sings. And um, whatever would be the English equivalent of that, I don't know. But, but it's not over until the final, final encore is finished. I remember some years ago when there'd been war in Kosovo, Tony Benn, one of the left-wing Labour um, MPs said, we won't really understand whether this war has been successful or not till at least five years has passed. You can look at some of the lives of leading atheists and the ungodly leaders of the, of, 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 of the past and think, wow, they, they had such lives, and yet you look at the end of them. Nietzsche finds himself in a mental asylum. I wonder what will happen to Richard Dawkins. Now, I, I don't wish anything evil on him. I, um, I was in touch recently with his ex-wife. I just thought I'd like to do a little tract entitled, Richard Dawkins' Mother Believes in God. But I had to find out whether she was alive or dead. I knew she believed in God if she was dead, but the letter came back that actually his ex-wife thought she was still alive, so I'm going to delay the publication of that tract. But... but you get that? We, do, we don't know what will happen yet. It's very easy to sort of pillory him and say, oh, what an enemy he is. We don't know what will happen. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he was converted? There is significance in everything that is going on. There's significance in history. A journalist, of course, takes up the pen or types on the computer and makes the first attempt at writing history. But inevitably, it's just short-sighted. It's the immediate that they're reporting. Things can change very, very rapidly. And we living in our generation... I think are particularly prone to be unprepared for the long-term future or for the second coming. We prepare not merely by following rules. Uh, preparing for the second coming isn't just having a sort of moral fear that at any moment Jesus Christ might come. That would be Phariseeism. Rules create anxiety. But if we are really aware of the fact that Jesus Christ could come and will come, it will affect us, and it will bring the future into the present and impact our present. That's really what I want to get across. So I want to say, first of all this evening, that I believe in the present, but I know there is a future. 
I believe in the present, but I know there is a future. And what I expect will affect the person that I am. What I dream of will impact the person I become. You know, what are my dreams? Is it, is it to have money? Is it to have fame? Is it to have power? Well, actually, the dreams are a sort of x-ray of my heart. They really reveal what sort of a person I truly am. Now, the question is, do I want the same future that God wants? Throughout eternity, God has a specific future. He's revealed it to us in his word. He knows what eternity is going to be like, and he's told us something of that. Now, is what God has revealed about eternity and the future what I desire more than anything else? In fact, the only future that there will be is the future that God wants. And the question is, do I want this? What are my desires? What are my aims? What do I dream for? What do I long for? The psalmist says, you know, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. Now, is that my desire? Is that what I want more than anything else? Or do I want, I don't know, do do I want to get whatever it is, five A stars at A level? Do I want to get a first class honours degree at university? Do I want to get a fantastic job? Do I want to get a fantastic wife, a lovely car, a nice house? You know, what is my future? Do I dream of God's name being honoured? Do I dream of God's justice? Do I dream of God's righteousness being exalted and adhered to and seen? Do I want this throughout the earth? Or have I got a different agenda than the one that God has? Do I dream that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ will be central? In the affairs not only of individuals and of church, but of governments of nations. About two or three years ago, I was preaching in Edinburgh in a church and a girl came up to me, I reckon she was about 26 years of age, and she said, Roger, do you remember me? And I thought, well, how could I forget? And, um, <laughs> but I had. And uh, she did say, well, you haven't seen me for 23 years. So I thought, oh, well, right, well, that's a little bit excusable. I, I don't know quite how to dress her, she, uh, describe her rather. She was, she was dressed in a sort of, I don't know, the sort of clothes you get in monsoon, you know, they're, they're pretty cheap, but you pay a fortune for them, you know, and uh, I, I don't know quite how to describe monsoon. It's, have, I, have I got that right? And uh, sort of all flowing and etc. And she had dreadlocks and various coloured cottons in her hair, but she's quite a character. And I, and I said, well, God, tell me who you were. And she told me who she was. And her father's a beach mission leader. And um, I said, oh, wow, it's great to see you again. What do you do? And she said, I'm an evangelist. Now, I'm an evangelist. You see, I thought, oh, great. I said, wonderful. Where, where are you working? What sort of evangelism do you do? And she said, I work with eco-warriors. So I said, all right. You, you know, we're sort of swampies of the world. And I said, well, how, how, do you get to, how do you get to know them? She said, well, I live with them. And I said, well, where, where do they live? She said, well, in the forests. So I said, just a minute. You... Live in the forests 24 hours a day? Yes. 365 days a year? Yes. And you're working with these people? Yes. Her father's a headmaster. Her mother, I'd somewhere senior in education as well. Lovely home. But she's left all the comforts of that to work with these people. She said, Roger, if I don't reach them, who else is reaching them? I talked to one of the elders of the church later on. I said, what do you know about so-and-so? 
And he just said, whenever we put on something evangelistic, she just has hordes of these people. You know, evangelistic service in the church, two, two pewfuls of people. Christianity explored, loads of them. And, and what's this girl doing? She's really saying, yes, she's living in the present. But actually, her real thought is of the future. Her real thought is seeking to bring God's eternal plan down to earth. Establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of men and women. And, and I, I just was filled with admiration for her. A week ago yesterday, I had lunch with a guy. I think he comes from a pretty wealthy background. We got talking about uh, Lord Rothschild, for one reason or another, who incidentally has tremendous political influence over Peter Mandelson and previously over Cherie Blair. But he is a Satanist. If you don't believe that, you go on his website and have a look. And he worships Satan. But that's a different matter. And I, but I just mentioned Lord Rothschild to this guy. And he said, oh, yes, I know that. I've been to his flat in Mayfair. I said, oh, right, okay. Now, I, personally, I haven't been there. In fact, I don't think I've ever been on Mayfair, except when I was playing Monopoly. And, uh, <laughs> and that was when I just picked up a card which said, go to Mayfair. And it just bankrupted me. But anyway, and um, wealthy guy, cultured guy sophisticated sort of man working in one of the hardest, tightest, nastiest Islamic nations of the world. One of his best friends was murdered, martyred this year and he told me other things it wouldn't be right to go into and yet he said some of the things that go on there we just cannot make known because we want to be able to continue our work. And there's something within me when I, when I read these stories of, of people who have just simply, straightforwardly given their lives to saying, hey, it is the future. My life with God, my life for eternity. That's what really matters. I believe in the present. Don't misunderstand. I'm, you know, I, I do normal things as I hope most of us do. I, I have normal interests. I listen to normal sort of music. I, I think Frank Sinatra's great. Is, is he normal? Or... No, okay, right. Well, anyway, I think he's normal. But it's... Um, but I know there is a future. Secondly, I want to say the future challenges my present. At present, the world is the antithesis, the opposite of what God wants. Now, I don't mean this in a, a patronizing way at all, but those of us who are perhaps, you know, just recently through the educational system of school and university or college or whatever it is, You've basically received something like, if it's school, a minimum of 15,000 hours of state education. If you've had more, you've had more. And actually, what is being bombarded on you is the world's view of itself. Not God's view, but the world's view of itself. So, a 12-year-old girl I know this week was really upset when she was told in the first biology lesson she had in her secondary school that, look, the Bible is completely wrong about how the world was made. This is how it was made. And it's upset her deeply. But actually, it comes across in, in English lessons, as well as biology, and comes across in geography, comes across... Actually, in just the conversation, school assemblies even, are far from being what God would have us be thinking about. And, and so, subtly, these pressures come upon us. And this is how we're living. But the future should challenge what I feel is so important about the present. Because actually, everything there is at this moment will one day be destroyed. 
I don't know whether you've ever read the journals of John Wesley. I, I would encourage you to read them. You can get edited editions if you don't want to read the whole thing. But one of the repeated lines that come through in Wesley's journals, of course he lived 250 years ago, is that he's going around, he sees these beautiful mansions and lovely estates, etc. And he often just writes down, it will all be burned up. And it's not a bad thing to be reminded of, that everything about this world, it, it may be pleasant to the eye, it may be comfortable to live in at the moment, but actually... It's not eternal. And I have to ask myself, am I expecting this? Or am I unprepared? Am I living for the future which is God's? Or the future which the world thinks it has? If I was to, and I speak this to myself, but if I was to lay everything that I love, say, on a table, and then invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come and do what he did when he was in the temple and clear away the things that were not of God, I wonder what he would do with everything that was on my table. Would he just overturn it and throw it away? Actually, so often of what we feel is normal, he would overturn. Idols. Is it, is it right to be interested in football? Well, okay, if, if, if life has been reduced to you that you enjoy watching a ball being kicked around, that's fine, you know. Soon you'll enjoy golf. When you get to that stage, you could buy a one-way ticket to a euthanasia clinic in Amsterdam, because really life has passed you by. If, if golf is of interest to you, you know, I, but anyway, I'm teasing. Well, no, I'm not really, so why say I am? And, um, but but if, if football is something you enjoy, fine, I don't mind that. But to become obsessed, so that it becomes the great passion. Actually, you want to know, did Leeds United win today? We know what the answer will be. It'll be the same answer it's been for years. But it's, uh, but you know, it, oh, I just must know what happened. I'll, oh, do you know, it's great to be at the UBM reunion, but I'm missing match of the day. I can't believe I'm sacrificing so much for the Lord's sake. And, and if you've got to that stage, something is going wrong. Now I'm exaggerating. But I would argue that every moment of our lives takes on new meaning once we begin to see things in the light of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This moment could be my last moment. That doesn't mean I reject the present. No, I live for the present. But it does mean that I want to redeem the moments and give them over for the glory of God. Actually, my life is really a co connection of single moments. One by one by one, make a day, make a week, make a month and years, etc. And eventually you look back and think, well, this was a good year. Or it was a, and a cerebralist, as the uh, Majesty of the Queen once described the year. You know, you, you look back, but it was actually just a, connect, a, co a connection of moments. And it doesn't matter if the Lord didn't come in the previous moment. The issue was, was I ready for his coming? And to be always a person of the kingdom. If you look in Matthew chapter 24, you'll find that there were people there who began to forget that the master, the Lord, was coming back. And they began to live in such an ungodly way. They, they were eating, drinking, being merry and forgetting God. Why? Because they'd forgot that the master was coming. Things were done that should never have been done, but they were done because they thought he was delaying. I should always be doing the things which I am created and redeemed 
to do. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. Imagine a girl, she's, she's waiting for a date with her fiancé and her heart's pounding with excitement. And, uh, but he's late. Actually, it should really be the other way around. He's always the woman. Anyway, we'll leave that. But, uh, yeah, she's late. And eventually she just gets a bit fed up and she thinks, oh, I thought we were going out for a meal. Never mind, I'll go to the, go to the cupboard. And she gets some crisps and she eats these crisps. Uh, and then some popcorn. And then eventually she changes into her pyjamas and a dressing gown. She switches on the telly. And, 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 and then eventually he arrives. And he says, I delayed two hours and you're still not ready? I often think that's... <laughs> that's just how the Lord will be with, sometimes I think, me. I am to arrange my life as if he may come at any moment. I am to check that I am ready for his coming. That's what those foolish virgins in the parable we had read to us a few moments ago were doing wrong. So when the Lord came and said, Awake! Awake! They didn't know that the time had come and they were not ready. So the moments that I have are moments of responsibility. I would like to put it like this, and I'd love you to get hold of this phrase and and keep it in your minds. I would like my life to be one where I am, as it were, laying out the red carpet for the coming king. And everything about what I say and do, the way I act, the the time I get up in the morning, the time I go to bed at night, the things I watch, the things I listen to, the things I say, the things I, you know, I I want everything about my life to be, as it were, laying out the, the red carpet and say, I am waiting for the coming king, everything's prepared. That's how I want to be able to live. To live so that the transition from the past to the present to the future is a normal one and I will eventually enter into something for which I am prepared think for example of the cross that is from the past Jesus did die on the cross but it has implications for my present and for my future I am blessed now because 2000 years ago someone loved me and gave himself for me on the cross and now because of what he has done I I'm crucified with Christ and I take the cross into the world and try to make way for the next generation that they too might look at the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is thrilling. Lord Jesus, you have died for me. I am willing to be crucified with you, to lay down my life. Now, Lord, I want to make it known to others, you know. And and to go into the the day and the world like that is, is so thrilling. The best contact I had last year. And in the end, it came to nothing. Who knows? Something might turn around, but um, for two weekends at the beginning of last year, I was speaking down in Hastings, right in the southeastern tip of England, and, and I was there Friday, Saturday, until Sunday tea time, and then I used to drive home, and it was quite a long drive. Now, I try to fill up my car with petrol on a Saturday, always. I, I, if I can avoid buying petrol 
uh, on a Sunday. I will do. I just think it's a little thing and it doesn't take much effort. But anyway, by the time I'd got up to Leeds, it was half past 11 on Sunday night. And um, the warning sign was that they, well, it's diesel actually, but the petrol was virtually out. And I'd got about four miles to go, but the, the warning sign had been there for a while. And I don't want to be legalistic about the Sunday, but I just thought I'd rather not have to buy petrol on the Sunday. It was half past 11. But I just thought if I run out, this is really going to be a nuisance. And so... You may criticise me, but anyway, I went in at half past eleven at night and, 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 and went to fill up with petrol, you see, and that's what I did. And I went into the, um, the, the Shell kiosk to pay... What, what, what do they call those guys behind the counter in a garage? Sorry. <laughs> He's the chairman of UBM. He is so naive. He called them cashiers. I, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's happened to the leadership these days. But anyway... I went to see this tax collector behind the counter and um, <laughs> and um, I was paying my money, you see. And I just said to him, I said, oh, are you going to be on all night now? And he said, yeah, I'm on a 15-hour shift. I said, oh, poor you. And then I just said, I don't know where it came from, but I just said, oh, poor you. I suppose that meant you didn't have time to go to church today. To which he said, well, I am a Hindu. I said, oh, that doesn't matter. Hindus are very, very welcome at church. <laughs> to which he said, well, actually, actually, I, I have been to church a couple of times. I shouldn't really say this because it's probably been recorded. Very, very wild, excitable sort of church that I've criticised many times. And I said, uh, I said uh, oh, which church is it? And he told me, I said, oh, that's a really good church. I thought, Catherine, you hear the great you? <laughs> but anyway, he would hear the gospel. I said, oh, that's a great church. We started talking. We talked for three quarters of an hour. Actually, I did think about it afterwards. If I'd just gone in and talked, I could have then filled up, and it wouldn't have been... Anyway, never mind. Um, <laughs> but This wonderful conversation with this guy, and then over the year, many, many times, I met with this guy, and we used to do little Bible studies late at night, and I used to share with him the word. Sadly, he's, he's moved on now, and I've lost contact with him, but it was from nothing. You know, are you on all night? Oh, I'm on the 15 hours. Oh, I suppose that means you can't go to church. And it's amazing, just little things. And I think it's, it's this attitude that says, God, I want to go out into the world today. I want to go out into this day today. I just want to speak to people about the Lord Jesus. There are two guys down in London. I went to, you know, top up my Oyster card. And there was a, a lovely, chirpy sort of black guy behind the, the um, glass barrier. And then he, he just blasphemed, not to me, but to somebody else. And actually, I don't know what it is about black guys. I suppose many of them from Africa or the Caribbean and often have a real God-fearing sort of nature about them. And I, I, I just used the name of Jesus and Christ. I said, you know, he's ever so precious to me. He's my best friend. And he looked at me and I said, he is really. He loved me and he died for me. And you. And he said, you caught me out there, didn't you? And we had a lovely conversation. Nothing very much, just something little. And he wasn't going to biff me one because it was a glass barrier, so I was okay. <laughs> That evening, I'd, uh, I was on my, there's an 11.30 train from, Lee, from London to Leeds. It gets in at Leeds at 2.30 in the morning. It's a very useful train for me. And I was getting the 11.30, but I got to King's Cross about...
quarter to 11. So I just popped across the road where there's a, a Chinese restaurant. What, what they put in the Chinese, I've no, no idea, because you can get a three-course Chinese meal for 3 But you know you haven't paid any more, if you see what I mean. Anyway, I had my Chinese meal, and, and, um, and I was just walking across. It was raining, and there was a girl in the central reservation of the, of the um, road, and she just said, business? And I just, I just walked by, and I felt cross, really. And then I got to the station, I thought, why did I walk by? So I went back to her, and... She was a pathetic-looking girl, really, probably only about 18. I said, no business. But I said, can I give you this little leaflet? It's about the Lord Jesus and how he loves you and died for you. And he really does care for you. She was so appreciative. Sadly, she had her eye, obviously, on the guy supervising things from across the road. But she took it and was so appreciative. Nothing, really, but something. Just because of the past impacting the present and making me want to, as it were, live for the future. Now, don't miss them. I, I, I miss loads of opportunities, like I suppose many of us do, but surely this is the hope of the second coming. Fourthly, let's move on. I redesign the present on the future of God. Now, I am used to redesigning things. For example, my car breaks down. Well, I had some money in the bank. I was going to spend it on such and such, but actually now I have to spend it on a, re- a car repair. So I've redesigned my purpose for that money. You know, and you say goodbye to the money, you're never going to see it again. But I'm used to this idea of redesigning. But I redesign my present for the future. It's so easy just to see the present and not the future. Mary has an alabaster box full of ointment. She comes to the Lord Jesus, she breaks it and pours it on the feet of the Lord Jesus. Judas saw the present and said, huh, this could have been sold, we could have made money to give to the poor. Jesus saw the future and interpreted the present by the future. And she said, no, no, no. He said, this has been done. She has anointed me for my death. Even death itself is reinterpreted. It's reinterpreted in the New Testament by the word sleep. So the future reinterprets what's happened in the present. I sow gospel seed. Why do I seek to sow gospel seed? Well, I sow it in light of the future. You know, a tiny little mustard seed, which the Lord Jesus Christ talked about. Do I see it as a seed? Or do I see the tree inside the seed? When I give a little tract to a prostitute outside King's Cross, is it just a tract, a piece of paper, two, three sentences? Or is it something that actually God could use and bring tremendous blessing to that girl? When I nicely, I hope winsomely, rebuke the guy behind the the glass barrier, am I rebuking or am I hoping that this word would be, as it were, a seed planted in good soil in his life? When I, and we're all challenged to do this, when I, when you, when we make sacrifices, are they worth it? Yes, because it's a sacrifice, not of the present, but for the future. The day of the Lord, when that day comes, the day of the Lord will reveal what things were. They say, oh, you're wasting your life, you're wasting your money, you're wasting your summer holidays. You could have done something else rather than be, you're, you're wasting, uh-uh. The Lord, like a producer, 
turns the spotlight on that little deed and says, oh, no, 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 no. This was vital. This was eternal. This was for the future. I imagine in a crowd this size, there are immense talents. One of the things that thrills me about being with others, just ordinary church people, is how many talents people have. The ability to do this, the ability to do that. I I think, you know, there's Vinny, he can play football. I can't play football, you've got to run. And, uh, you know... (laughs) Somebody else can play a musical instrument. Somebody else can do art. Somebody else, a tremendous, all these talents. Now, the question is, what do I do with what God has given me? I can do so many things with my life. But actually, there is now in me, this earthen vessel of my body, treasure. The Lord himself, and I want this treasure to be the thing that dominates, controls, guides what my life is invested into. I redesign the present on the future of God. Could Helen Rosevear have done better as a doctor in the UK? I've no doubt she could have done. Would it be wrong for her to have done that? It would have been wrong for her. It doesn't mean it's wrong for a GP in the UK who's a Christian to be in the UK. If God wants them in the UK, praise God. But actually, God wanted Helen Rosevear in the Belgian Congo. No doubt somebody said, oh, this is ridiculous, you're going there. And, but actually, she was rede- re- redesigning the, the present for the future. And then the last thing I want to say on this whole idea of looking for this blessed hope, seeing the future, looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, the point was, I believe in the present, but I know there is a future. Second, the future challenges my present. Thirdly, I live in the present, preparing for the future. Then I redesign the present on the future. But I want to say this finally. Knowing that I have received the deposits of the future already, I live for the future. And I have received the deposits of the future. When I was converted, when you were converted, the Holy Spirit, the personal power of God, the third person of the Trinity, came to live within me. Isn't it amazing? This little overweight body of mine becomes the dwelling place of God. You are the temple of the living God. He's not living in a temple now built with hands, whether it's in Coventry or London or York or Armagh. No, he's living in you if you are a Christian. And the Holy Spirit is the seal, the deposit, the guarantee of the future. When it talks about us being sealed by the Holy Spirit, it's like an engagement ring. It's the promise of something that's to come. Now, I have been bought with a price, and now I'm on the way, I'm being led home. I'm being led to a place that is being prepared for me by the Lord Jesus himself. The Bible takes the future and puts it in the present. I will be judged. Not for salvation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But my works will be judged. I will be judged, but I am justified now. I've declared just now. There will be redemption. But I am redeemed now. I am going to eternal life, but I have eternal life now. I am going to glory, but I am glorified now. There is a future prepared for me, but I am living now for the future. And I draw from the future 
to touch my present. And I just want us to get hold of this. It will impact so greatly what we do. So some of you are coming up this year to GCSEs and A-levels or finals or whatever it is. And you think, oh, this is absolutely horrendous. I just, I don't know. I, I never enjoyed school. I lived in fear all through my school life of the, what is it, the T-something B, the TB injection. I, 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 I dreaded that for four years. And eventually, at the age of 13, I had that injection. And it was, it was as bad as I'd feared. It was awful. And then when that was over, there were exams. And I hated that. I just hated school. But there we are, you know, and such is life. But... Exams, they were such a, I don't know, they were like a Damocles sword hanging over me. But actually, why do we work for GCSEs and A-levels and finals, etc.? We do it for the glory of God and saying, God, I'm going to invest, like Helen Rosalie said, I'm going to study for your glory. I'm going to stretch my mind. I'm going to allow my mind to take in as much as it possibly can, to be disciplined in learning. So that I can use these skills and the training of my mind and the knowledge that I'm getting to be able to be given to you in service now and for the future. I'm his child, I'm just a child, but I'm rich. Lord, everything I have and am, it's, it's given over to you. And Lord, I don't know how many years I've got, but I want all my years to be given over to bring the future to the present of people round about. I want to serve you. I want to lay out the red carpet for you to come. I, I am living two lives. I'm living, yes, because I have this now, but my present is taken hold of by the future. My moments are a precious gift from God, but they are to count for eternity. They're to count for God. I don't know whether the thrust of what I'm trying to get across, it has come across. There will be thousands of people in Leicester, in Hinckley, in Coventry, in Birmingham, all these cities round, around, round about here tonight, who are just thinking of the present, no thought of the future. But we're saying, no, Lord, the future is going to control and dominate the now. Is this a temptation for the now? Will it give me pleasure now? But you said, no, Lord, all right, I'm living for the future. I'm living for eternity. Would I have pleasure for a season? Yes, but I'm living for the future. Lord, I, I, I could establish this relationship now, but okay, Lord, no, I'm living for the future. I could decide I can't be bothered to write a letter, as Helen Rosevere said, but no, actually, I will write a letter to encourage somebody to build somebody up. I will buy a postcard or a tract or whatever. And, you know, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm investing in the future. And at the end of this weekend, basically, we are all people who, to, to, to whom the grace of God has appeared. But some of us will be saying, Lord, I am looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. And others will say, no, I'm living for the present. And I ask us, which is it to be? And I beg of us to be people who say, Lord, I have been redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you have bought me. You have my present. I want to invest it. And for your glory.